Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes, and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs, authors, culinary experts, artisans, and more. I love food. I love eating it and looking at it and reading and writing about it, creating it, sharing it, and of course, talking about it, especially here in your radio. So if you love to cook or love to eat, then this is definitely a show for you. We talk all about health and travel with a little bit of tech and a little bit of fitness thrown in. And of course, I am all about fabulous food. So if you can use a little help on building flavor, menu planning, or food and wine pairings, well, then I hope you'll check out my website at chefjamie.com for daily inspiration that you'll sign up for my weekly newsletter and that you'll become a fan and a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. It is my goal every Sunday to feed your soul and to make you the best cook you know. So here's a culinary revelation for a Sunday. The new black is burnt. That's right, smoky and bitter and imperfect. Char is hot. For most foodies, burnt food means a serious kitchen goof or maybe a Cajun-inspired blackened steak. Burnt toast, maybe. But burnt and char mean two very different things. And with the trend-setting flavor profile of char or blackened in a really good way, I thought that I would hopefully wax poetic and enlighten you to another food trend for 2016. Now, I am not talking about scraping the black off the toast when you forgot about your breakfast in the toaster while you were making your coffee, or the char really that comes from great grill marks from your barbecue. Black spots on food, those are a whole nother thing. And yes, today they are setting a food trend in restaurants across the country. Now, char is a prominent feature on pizza and veggies, and chefs across the country are really loving the freedom to burn because it has this amazing flavor enhancement factor. The ingredients, the dishes with those blackened parts, like uh, the bottom of your pizza or bread from a wood-fired oven, you get a smokiness and bitterness that's really brilliant and is being very prized. And it's interesting to consider that those blackened charred notes actually counterbalance the fattiness of, let's say, cheese or other toppings on a pizza. Now, there's also something to be said for that homey feel of imperfection. And I talked to a chef friend in New York recently who was telling me he loves that he can get away with char now because it looks as if he meant for it to be there, which he did. But in the past, it looked like a mistake. Now, interestingly enough, the flavor of burnt wood has always been a part of American whiskey, speaking of char, right? In contrast to Scotch or Irish whiskeys, which are usually aged in barrels that were formerly used to age wine or other spirits, American bourbon is aged in newly charred oak barrels. And it's exactly 
what it sounds like. The inside surfaces of newly made oak barrels are burnt until the interior is black and crackled. And then the blackened barrels are filled with fresh distillate, which in time becomes golden mellow bourbon. That is American whiskey making. So... You can think of that as the consolation next time you burn your toast, but you should also consider that that char is so very in. I posted a recipe on Facebook um, some weeks ago, in fact, for charred carrots in a cast iron pan, uh, thin strips of carrot that are charred and then finished with a vinaigrette. And I have to tell you, the flavor profile is out of this world. You can actually garner the same blackened notes, not only from a cast iron pan, but you can from your backyard barbecue fired up really high. And um, you can shame all the barbecue geniuses and grill masters out there by closing the lid so that you get extra blackened char. You can actually do the same under the broiler in your oven. And I will say that that beautiful blistered, I'd rather call it blistered in fact than charred or blackened, that beautiful blistered quality is a level of caramelization that is truly scrumptious. So of course you're going to ask, do charred vegetables contain the same carcinogens as burned meat? Well, you should know. The answer is no. But it doesn't mean that you should grill the zucchini with a pyrotechnic abandon. It is true that charring red meat can create uh, chemicals that have been linked to an increased risk of a range of cancers. Those are called HCAs. But the HCAs are actually a result of a specific recipe of amino acids and creatine, which is a combination that you will not find in any vegetables. So with that said... It is time to burn your veggies. Well, not burn, rather blister. Don't be afraid to pipe up that oven of yours. Turn your burner to high because blistered Brussels sprouts and carrots and zucchini and eggplant and tomatoes and the beautiful breads that you might be making or the pizza on the grill, they get such a tremendous depth of flavor from that caramelization process. And if you happen to go too far with the char, rest easy because you're so in the know, right? You can just consider it trendy. (laughs) Let me know what you blister in your kitchen. You can always email me direct to jamie at chefjamie.com. And in other food news, it is time for vegans to rejoice. If you are particularly adverse to dairy or lactose intolerant, you've been missing ice cream, I bet, that tastes good, right? Well, today is your lucky day because Ben & Jerry's just rolled out their vegan ice cream line of non-dairy frozen desserts. The new line features two beloved Ben & Jerry's flavors, uh, both in non-dairy form, one of which is my ultimate favorite, Chunky Monkey, banana ice cream, chocolate chunks, big huge walnuts, oh so good, and chocolate fudge brownie being rolled out as well. And then there are two exclusive flavors that are new, coffee caramel fudge and PB and cookies. Now Ben & Jerry's promises that the desserts will have a similar taste and consistency to regular ice cream, but there is a noticeable difference on the label aside from being dairy-free. The new vegan ice creams from Ben & Jerry's are actually lower in fat and calories, and in some cases, they have less sugar than their regular counterparts. So does that make the new vegan desserts healthier than their regular ice cream cousins? 
Why, yes, it does. Small calorie savings, in some cases, a sugar count a lot lower. Well, if you're going to have ice cream and you want to save a little on calories, then you should reach for the vegan version. Might not be the worst thing. And vegan lovers, uh, those adverse to dairy and those who are lactose intolerant, you should celebrate because Ben and Jerry's new desserts are available in stores now. And do not touch your dial because there is so much delicious conversation coming up in your radio. Joining me at the microphone in just a few minutes, Faraday Sadikin. She is of Savour Magazine, and I'm proud to call Savour my friends and partners as well. She's waxing poetic on Italian veggies, and it's really set to be great conversation. I am a Savour fan, aren't you? By the way, we've posted a recipe for Savour's marinated zucchini at chefjamie.com as well. Also, acclaimed bread baker Sarah Black is stopping by in the middle of the hour. She makes 10 breads from one dough. Oh, just wait till you hear. And Lisa Lynn, our resident fitness expert, is teaching you how to control the cravings before the end of the hour. So don't touch your dial. There is more fabulous food coming up in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, be right back. You've tuned in to the coolest culinary conversation on the radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. Faraday Sadikin is the test kitchen director at Savour Magazine, which you know I love. I'm a big Savour fan, and she has graced this show before. She kicks some culinary butt as the test kitchen director at Savour, and she's compiled thousands of recipes for the recent releases of two new Savour cookbooks. Today, she's here to dish on Italian comfort food. A bubbly, warm, saucy Italian dish on a cold winter night. Now that is amore. And from meatballs to lasagna to risotto to cacciatore, the Savour Italian Comfort Food Cookbook has it all. But let's say you use your grandmother's meatball recipe or what do you serve alongside that big bowl of spaghetti and meatballs? Well, I was inspired by the vegetables in this Italian lover's Bible. So I asked Faraday to visit again to dish and I am so glad you're here. Hi, Faraday. Hi, Jamie. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. Okay, so we all know we love like the big bowl of hearty, wonderful Italian comfort food. But I think the veggies and the sides and the salads and the supas. I happen to love zuppa, the word itself. Oh, yeah. yeah, the Italian word for soup, um, but yeah, tends to so be fun. veggie soup. It is. Um, I think those Italian dishes get forgotten. And there's something beautiful about artichokes and eggplant and zucchini and tomato everything. I think you're right. You know, I think that um, especially in Italian cooking, seasonal ingredients are, you know, one of the things that everybody kind of looks towards. And whether it be Mm -hmm. tomatoes or, you know, the artichokes um, or squash, you know, there's um, like this time of year, squash is, you know, on the shelves everywhere. And that's definitely one of my favorite veggies to cook with um, and roast it or or whatever you might do. I think that you can serve an Italian veggie side with almost any meal, or you could make a meatless Monday of vegetarian side dishes all compiled together, like a smorgasbord. Yeah, and kind of like a ratatouille or something, Mm, you know what I mean? I think there's that classic kind of sense, you know, 
whether it be even now that you know French handedness or Italian, where you're kind of throwing all these beautiful vegetables together and making something really special. Um, and yeah, it can be an entire meal in and of itself. Okay, you make a really good point. Let's start there. This is a wonderful way, like a ratatouille or a zuppa, a, a spring vegetable soup as you make in the book, to mm-hmm. use up or clean up your produce drawer, right? You totally. feel inspired by whatever's left in there to mix it all in a pot. Um, talk to us, if you would about those sort of slow-cooked or longer-cooked or stew-like Italian methods? Yeah, so, I mean, getting some of those things on the stove, you know, especially, you know, day like today, a Sunday, just get it going, get it kind of going all day. Mm. Everyone's going to be lured into the kitchen with those smells. (laughs) It's going to really intensify in flavor as well, which is nice and develop a lot more, um, just, you know, flavor in general in that way. Um, And you can have that, you know, dish or whatever throughout the week. Um, you can brighten it up, you know, the next day with other things from your pantry. If you have, you know, some nuts you want to throw into or some fresh herbs as well mm. the next day to kind of revitalize it. Um, that's, I don't know, that's one of the tips I really love. Um, yeah, and, you know, that being said as well, one of these things, a recipe I love in the book, and I know you you, know, you love it as well, is the roasted squash agridolce. Okay. Um, yes, thank you. Perfect segue. You're taking over my job here, Faraday. You're getting way too good at this. Um, let's talk about that. I happen to love anything agrodolce. And the agrodolce, the term itself in Italian, is um, essentially sweet and tart, right? It's like a good balsamic reduction where you still have that beautiful, bright acidity with a subtle sweetness that sort of offsets and complements it. And you could put agrodolce on an elbow and I would eat it. Like I like anything in that style. Um, Okay, so now go ahead, please do talk about the roasted squash agrodolce. So this dish is something very simple. You're really roasting the squash at a high temperature simply with just oil, salt, and pepper until it's nice and golden. Um, And then what we're doing is you know, we're making our acridolce, which is a reduction of, like you said, vinegar, a little bit of sugar, and some chili flakes. Adds a nice little bit of heat to it. Mm. Um, drizzle that over the squash afterwards. And we're using, in this recipe, golden raisins have been soaked um, in hot water for about 30 minutes. I like that because the golden raisins sometimes, they're a bit harder. Um, so it softens them a bit. And with just some roasted hazelnuts and some fresh basil. And it's a really bright mm. dish that, you know, you're using... I feel like people often think about winter veg and they think of them as, you know, maybe being a bit more, um, yes, stewed or, you know, I don't know, not quite as fresh as, you know, summer veg might be. But this dish, I think, is really bright, especially with the, you know, the herbs, the basil um, and a nice crunch of the hazelnut. And mm-hmm. that, you know, like you said, that sweet tart kind of flavor from the agridolce. And it's, I mean, this dish is it's perfect. <laughs> this one, this dish makes me want to lick the page in the cookbook, just so you know. Um, and I agree with you. I think winter veg does get a bad rap because I think it's often associated with long, slow cook or mushy or overcooked. But when you roast vegetables at a high heat, they could be squash or Brussels or, uh, squ- you know, eggplant for that matter, or tomatoes. Um, In a casserole dish, you do a bevy of different tomatoes with this big, beautiful sprig of thyme and good olive oil, and you get all the juices. There's something really luscious about it. I could eat this roasted squash agridolce for dinner. I'd be very happy. With a crusty bread and a salad, I'm in. Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you really, if you wanted to, you could throw it, you know, over pasta as well or something, if you really wanted some starch in there. 
And that's the beauty of Italian food. I mean, you could throw in a grain or you could throw in uh, cooked pasta or you could make a batch of risotto and then put any of these um, Italian-inspired veggie dishes right on top and you'd have a really brilliant meal. Um, You're on a roll. Move on to eggplant, please, because I know this is your pride and joy recipe in the book, the fried eggplant with roasted tomatoes and basil. Totally. I mean, I grew up and my mom's Italian and so... She made one of my favorite dishes was eggplant roll-ups mm. and anything eggplant, really. Eggplant parmesan. That's my so favorite. This, oh, right? The this best. dish kind of takes inspiration from that. Um, it's, you know, eggplant, little rounds. And what we're doing, though, is I love fried stuff. Let's be real. Um, no, no, no. Fa- Faraday. We, we don't call it fried. <laughs> okay. Could you, if you don't mind, we call it crispy. Crispy. <laughs> it's crispy. It makes it's me feel crispy. so much better about Ooh, myself. Then. Well, this is, it's not, this isn't like, you know, a, a deep fry. No, this is a pan you know? fry. Right. It's, it's, yeah, you can do it as a pan fry, which is good. And the, the nice thing about this is using cherry tomatoes as well, making a really simple sauce to go with it, and then just some basil and Parmesan cheese on the top. And it's, mm. I mean, this is amazing. Um, and I think the trick to it is the dredging of the eggplant and doing that properly, you know. Um, what I always like to do is, you have your wet hand and your dry hand when you're dredging. You know, yes. you go from your flour to your egg to your breadcrumbs. Um, and you're using one hand, you know, to do the flour, changing hands and doing that with your egg, and then switching back to the dry hand. Because otherwise, you know, sometimes you use both hands and it just gets so clumpy and yes, messy. Yes, you get a, a gloppy mess for sure. I find the secret to great breading, and this applies to chicken, fish, or veggies, is I do or prepare the proper breading procedure, and then I put the breaded item in the fridge for 15 to 30 minutes because I think that it makes the coating adhere better. Do you do the same? I do, actually. That's a great tip, and um, one I always forget to tell people. Um, But, you know, it's one of those little secrets that once people learn it, I think that it kind of changes things for them, you know? It's a game changer. Yeah. It is. And people can, you know, think about breading and it's maybe time consuming, but it really isn't. And it's messy or whatever, but using shallow dishes as well, I think really helps. It's a great tip. Um, As far as the eggplant is concerned, I thought it was interesting to read because your photo is this sweet, small round of eggplant, the few on the plate, which I could finish a few plates of that, mind you. Um, But you mention and allude to the fact that smaller eggplants are generally sweeter than larger ones. And I think that the eggplants have grown larger and larger in the supermarket. So better to dig deep for a smaller. I agree. I agree. And if you know, you do get some larger ones. um, And I think that Eggplant, again, was one of those things that people think of as being really bitter. And another tip, you know, in order to draw out some of that bitterness is to salt it for even just 30 minutes. Um, My dad and my mom used to salt it overnight on newspapers, um, and that kind of helps draw out some of the bitterness. But again, you know, get some of those smaller ones, and they are a bit sweeter. More recipes highlighted from Savour Italian Comfort Food. If you know and love the magazine like I do, then you will certainly love the um, simple, flavorful, beautiful, authentic food, the fresh takes on classic dishes that you will find in the Savour cookbooks. Uh, There is no doubt we know and love Savour magazine since 1994, unprecedented access to the world's cuisines and the stories of wonderful meals. And at the helm of it all, you've heard Adam Sachs on the radio here, editor-in-chief, and his right hand, the test kitchen director at Savour magazine, Faraday Sadikin, who makes it all happen. We will share an excerpted recipe at chefjamie.com so that you can make 
luscious Italian-inspired veggie dishes. And I hope that you will bring Savor Italian comfort food from the editors of Savor, the cookbook, into your kitchen. Faraday, we'll see you real soon. Um, And again, whatever time dinner is, you let me know. I'll be right there. You got it. Okay, good. I look forward to it. Thank you. As the delicious conversation continues, there's more fabulously flavorful food in your radio right after this. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Bread lovers and bread bakers rejoice. This conversation is for you. If you've ever wanted to bake homemade bread, but you don't know where to begin, well, one dough, 10 breads is your answer. With just a few ingredients and your own two hands, this book will have you well on your way to making artisan style breads. The new release from Sarah Black, baker and baking instructor with 25 years of professional baking experience in New York City, who has worked at the legendary bakeries we love, like Tom Cat and Amy's Bread, whose ciabatta changed New York's breadscape forever, is here to share her tremendous baking skills with you. And highlighting her new book by the title One Dough, Ten Breads, she's here to dish. And I am very glad to have you, Sarah. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to talk to you. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I loved reading through the book. And uh, to be very forthright and honest, um, as you know, and my listeners know, I am a professional chef by trade. I have a culinary degree, but I have never been a bread baker. And I was really mesmerized by your book. Um, I read it beginning to end, page by page. And you wow. say, <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, I, I thought it was really easy to understand, which was a wonderful approach to bread. You say that getting your hands in the dough is the best way to learn. That's right. Your hands, your sense of touch tell you so much from whether or not your ingredients are incorporated properly to the water-flour balance to really feeling and understanding fermentation. Okay, so all of those aspects, I think what daunts many bakers, myself included, are so much privy to the weather, the humidity, the open window in your kitchen, the uh, the temperature of your oven, whether it's been calibrated or not. How How do you accommodate all of the variables? That's right. You bring up some really smart points. And I still say, start, get to know your dough with your hands. And as you move forward, especially if you follow the lessons in the book, your skill level and your sense of awareness just increases. And you'll realize that if it's a cool, windy day and your windows are open and your dough starts to form a crust, you're either going to want to close your window or or cover your dough. It's essential to keep your dough moist. Okay, so um, let's start at the beginning then. Give us a tutorial, please. You start with the simplest plain white dough, right? And then you go on from there. Well, I think that it's uh, very important to organize your ingredients, your tools, and set aside 30 minutes so that you can really just enjoy the process and maybe... Mm. That's the perfect word, enjoy, because 
I think so many people approach bread making with fear, and it's not a scary thing to do. Um, you just need to proof your yeast if you're using active dry yeast in hot water that's from 105 to 115, and you'll get to know that temperature just by your sense of feel, you know, as you move forward. You add your dry ingredients together, your flour and salt. You mix those with a few turns of your hand. You form a well in the bowl with, with dry ingredients. Uh, I add the yeast mixture first, and then I add the cooler water. I mix from the center with my hand straight up, my fingers together, almost like a spatula. Right. And I find that's a very efficient way of of mixing. Uh, you mix slowly, the flour comes to you, and you don't have big globs of hard dough that you have to unwind <laughs> at the end. It's it's a very smart way of mixing your dough. Very interesting. I love the step-by-step photographs, by the way, that really take you through the process. I'd like to take a step back. Let's go through ingredients for a moment. You mentioned yeast and flour. Would you talk about your favorites in each category, please? Do you use um, granular yeast or do you prefer cake yeast? Are you a multitude of flours user or do you have a favorite? (laughs) Well, interestingly, I love uh, my Fleshman's Active Dry Yeast because it's so available. Yes. It's so dissolvable. It's just a very practical starting point. I will say that because I'm getting ready to open a, a new business in the Columbus, Ohio area, we're starting to... Congratulations. Thank you. Write up and scale up our recipes. So I've moved on to SAF Instant Yeast, which doesn't need hydration. And it's quite a nice and easy way to approach dough making. Hmm. But for flowers, um, I've had great luck with many different kinds of flowers, um, mostly supermarket flowers for now because I'm recipe testing at home, but um, there are so many great websites available to order flour from. Yeah, there really are. There, there's some, there are so many resources out there, Sarah. It's amazing. And it is. I, that's the bevy of great cooks and culinarians and gastronomes out there, I believe, that have uh, built this uh, incredible online shopping resource for everything you need soup to nuts in the kitchen. Yeah, it's become truly exciting. And then not only that, but here in Ohio at our new business, we're working with some farmers in the area who are very excited to be growing wheats and milling wheats to our specs. Oh, how um, fantastic. Yeah, uh, we just heard about an Amish farmer yesterday who's uh, at our beck and call, and I think... When did this happen? We're so lucky. It's very true. Uh, there, there really are so many different styles, varieties, substitutes, uh, different examples of products out there that make the resources available to everyone. Yeah. And, and I love so that. Important. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I agree. She is acclaimed bread baker, Sarah Black, and she has one dough and 10 breads and more to share right after this. Pipe up that oven. We are baking galore this Sunday. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with Sarah Black, acclaimed bread baker. I was very interested to learn that you take the white dough that you start with, and if you add water, you get focaccia. Is it really that simple? 
That's just it. Thank you for saying it that way because it is that simple. And I think that I might have had a difficult time learning as I grew up. I probably would have thrived at a Montessori school because once I started making hmm. bread, everything uh, made sense. Came to me. Yeah, made <laughs> sense. And so feeling your way through this dough and, and understanding that just changing the water quantity makes a new dough and then makes another new dough, ciabatta, is revelatory, I think. Okay, talk about your legendary ciabatta, please. Because when they talk about Sarah Black and a bread and and bread making and you know e- extraordinary uh, baking instructor, all the words they use uh, associated with your name, um, and that's word on the street. I mean, chef friends of mine, bread lovers across the country, they talk about no. I mean, it's true. They talk about oh, the founder of the ciabatta. I, I, with all due respect, I didn't know there was a founder of ciabatta, but you are credited with this beautiful bread. And when I see ciabatta, just so you know, I think mufalata. Like that makes me want to make a mufalata sandwich. So I thank you personally. I really do. Well, I think I'm given too much credit. No, what, maybe what not. What happened was also a part of the timing of, of that era of bread making. And because I had been a craftsperson in paper making previously, I had familiarity with working with very wet substances, hmm. like the pulp of paper. So when I found Carol Field's book and she talked about ciabatta, I thought, I have no hesitation in trying this, whereas I think many people would have been intimidated by making a dough with so much water in it. It's sticky and it has a mind of its own, but I had no fears. I had great pleasure working with it and just went for it, and there wasn't truly anything quite like it on the market. New York was ripe for this kind of exciting new venture, and it, you know, was just magically happened. And, and if that's what magically happens when you make ciabatta, I'll, I'll have another. Thank you. I, I love your calm about you. If, if bread baking has lent itself to your inner peace or uh, that, that beautiful approach that you take to mixing like a spatula with four fingers straight down in a bowl. I want you to know you've inspired me to bake bread because well, that's quite a big thing. No, I mean th- there's a lovely piece about it. I and and I think going back to the beginning of our conversation, it really is about like you said, setting yourself up and going through the steps to learn and perfect practice makes perfect this process of bread baking. Well, and also, as you were describing it, which you did very poetically, by the way, it also gives you, it gives you that sense of calm. Congratulations to you. The book called um, One Dough, Ten Breads, the author, Sarah Black, Ten Foundation Breads from Baguettes to Ciabatta to Sourdough with the shaping instructions and clear step-by-step photography that will have you baking bread in no time. Check it out. It really is a brilliant book to make you a master bread baker. And you can learn more about Sarah's techniques and her cooking classes at her farmhouse in Ohio on her website at sarahsbread, S-A-R-A-H-S bread.com. Sarah, always a pleasure. I hope you'll come back soon. And thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I did as well. There's more delicious conversation in your radio to make you a master in your own kitchen. Stay tuned. Chef Jamie Gwen. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. One minute, you're innocently going about your day, right? The next, you're in the clutches of desire. Your object of lust, a chocolate cupcake. Surveys estimate that almost 100% of women and nearly 70% of men have food cravings. That covers most of us, doesn't it? Well, celebrity fitness and metabolic nutrition expert Lisa Lin is the founder of Lin Fit Nutrition and the author of the award-winning The Metabolism Solution. Lisa created the Metabolic Boosting Weight Loss System, and you see her regularly with Dr. Oz and more to share her workouts and insight and belly fat weight loss tips. And I am always thrilled when she stops by to whip up... And I'm always thrilled when she stops by to whip us back into shape. I am proud to call Lisa Lynn our resident fitness expert. And if you stay tuned for the next 10 minutes, you might just curb those cravings. Hey, Lisa, are you there? I'm there. Okay. Are, are you riding a bike as we speak? Yes, you can hear it, right? You might as well burn a few calories off to make room for chocolate later. That's right. This is this is the fitness expert, mind you, if you've uh, not heard in the past, who rides a bike in place of an office chair. But with that said, um, do you crave too? Because I crave, like seriously crave. You have no clue. And chocolate you bring up, which is important. Why do we crave it? People really don't understand that chocolate, a really good kind, that pure cacao. Yes. It has what an ingredient called theobromine in right. it that actually boosts mood and it can boost your metabolism if you have the right kind. Okay, so you always said to me, we talked about Tootsie Rolls when we first met. That was a lot of years ago. Yeah, there's no theobromine in those. No, no, the, just the chewy, the chewy goodness. Um, but you do talk about bittersweet chocolate, and we know the higher the percentage on the chocolate bar, the purer essentially it is from a culinary perspective. If you can hear it snap as opposed to bend like milk chocolate, the bittersweet chocolate is better. And is that your solution for a sweet tooth craving? Absolutely, and I think before we get into what we're gonna what we're gonna cheat on, what we do crave, we should ask why. Why do we crave? We crave because women tend not to eat the number one most important nutrient, which is protein, that contains all of the amino acids that works on neurotransmitters, so that we're less prone to depression. And prevention is the cure. So if you make sure you're eating properly, your good lean proteins and lots of vegetables. You're going to crave a lot less. So when you end up at the refrigerator, you have a little bit more control. A little bit more. Okay. With, with that said, uh, how do you remind us, boost one's metabolism so that from morning till night, you don't crave? Because I'll tell you, interestingly enough, and I'm sure I'm not alone, I crave sweets in the morning. And I know that if I start off my day with something sweet or carb indulgent, the cravings are even worse that entire day. And if I, st- if I start off in the beginning of the day healthy and well-rounded, and I do have you in my brain, in my head, because I wake up in the morning and Lisa goes, black coffee protein, black coffee protein. I feel better. So map us a plan, would you please? Yeah, totally, because protein regulates the serotonin in our brains, and it contains all the amino acids that, that regulate all these systems. And women just we either eat the wrong thing or we don't eat it all. But you know my solution is a pure whey metabolic-boosting protein shake, and I use a high-grade cacao in there. And I find that I don't miss my shake 
ever. I never miss breakfast anymore because it because it tastes good and it has chocolate with no sugar. Um, I love the newsletter too. If you sign up at linfit.com, my friend Lisa Lynn will send you everything from the most reliable cold remedies. Thank you for the nod to Jewish chicken soup. Um, how you can jumpstart your weight loss and how you can conquer your cravings. Again, find Lisa's best tips at linfit, L-Y-N-F-I-T dot com. And stay tuned because in the coming months, of course, you'll hear her here with more insightful information. Lisa, um, cheers to chocolate, baby. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary inspiration to feed your soul. And if you have a taste for life, well, then I hope I satisfied your cravings. I am dedicated to delicious dishes and living the best life, and we're going way beyond mere eating and drinking on this show. So I hope you'll tune in every Sunday, as it's my mission to find the most exciting places, new experiences, and emerging trends to bring you insight into the wide and wonderful world of food. By the way, there are a few things you won't want to miss at chefjamie.com this week, like my classic chicken pot pie recipe, a blueberry streusel cobbler, and oh, the ultimate white cosmopolitan. That sounds like the perfect dinner for tonight now, doesn't it? And of course, I'll leave you with my last bite. I like to call it my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. I happen to love broiling salmon. Do you? Instead of baking, I will say, because it's a really delicate meat, of course, that cooks fast. And I think that great cooks everywhere should get over the misconception that fish is hard to cook because a blast of heat from your broiler is just enough for a salmon steak to cook through just perfectly and retain its natural juices and moisture. So for the perfect amount of heat and sweet... I wanted to share my three-ingredient baked Thai salmon recipe with you because, you know, I love the super simple recipes. All you need is four salmon steaks or fillets, skin on or off, it doesn't matter. A half a cup of Thai sweet chili sauce. That's that big bottle with the pretty rosy red sweet heat that I love. And a great shortcut, by the way, to marinate or glaze just about any protein. And then you need a few green onions or scallions. And all you do is you lay the salmon in a a baking dish and you season with salt and pepper and you top with the Thai sweet chili sauce. And then you refrigerate for a couple of hours or even overnight is best. And then you broil the salmon when you're ready to cook about five inches from the rack. And I will say, it takes about eight minutes. You rotate the uh, baking dish once. And then you can glaze with more of that sweet chili sauce. Finish with some scallions. uh, Serve it with brown rice or quinoa. And you have the ultimate healthy and fabulous meal. So... You want the recipe, right? I will post it, of course, the ingredients and the method on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope you will join me and sit down at the kitchen table for more delectable conversation coming up next Sunday in your radio. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. Well.